Welcome back to the DC Beer Show. This week, as promised, Adam and I talked to Greg Engert of the Neighborhood Restaurant Group. Uh, Greg is responsible for some of the region's top craft beer experiences, Church Key, The Sovereign, and Blue Jacket uh, in the district, B-Side and Rustico in Virginia, and Owen's Ordinary in Maryland, not to mention Snallygaster. Uh, I love talking to Greg. He knows as much about beer as as anyone I've ever met, uh, and I learn something new every time we talk. So I really hope you enjoy uh, this interview and this conversation with Greg uh, at, at Blue Jacket a couple weeks ago. But before we dive into that, just some quick notes. First of all, DC Beer would like to say happy birthday to Lost Rhino Brewing Company. They're celebrating eight years in business uh, with a party on Saturday uh, out at Ashburn. On Saturday, Church Key is bringing in Viking-inspired Drecker Brewing Company from North Dakota. And uh, Silver Branch in Silver Spring is having a block party with Hill Country Barbecue. Uh, that's all Saturday, June 22nd. So find out more about these and dozens of other local events on the calendar at dcbeer.com. While you're there, check out our recent articles, including Bill DeBond's take on the top places to drink craft beer in Columbia Heights, and more information about uh, Loudoun County Beer Week, which is also starting on Saturday the 22nd. If you didn't catch last week's episode of the DC Beer Show, you should check out that as well. We talked to uh, a few folks working on uh, Loco Beer Week. Uh, if you go to dcbeer.com, you can also sign up for the Weekly Pour, which is our weekly rundown of news and events delivered directly to your inbox. And you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at dcbeer. All right, business is done. Let's get down to our conversation with Greg Angert. Welcome back to the interview portion of the DC Beer Show. Uh, we're so excited. Adam and I are here at Blue Jacket in Navy Yard, and we are so excited to be talking to Greg Engert, who is beer director and managing partner for Neighborhood Restaurant Group. And, and we'll talk a little bit about the Neighborhood Restaurant Group. You've heard all their names in a minute, but let me introduce Greg. He's one of the leaders of craft beer in the DMV. Everybody who enjoys the amazing access we have to beers from all over the world in DC owes Greg Engert, an enormous debt of gratitude, <laughs> um, because you're pretty yes, much responsible do. for that. Uh, in 2010, Food & Wine named Greg one of its sommeliers of the year, the first time they recognized a beer professional for that honor. In 2012, he was nominated for Outstanding Wine and Spirits Professional by the James Beard Foundation. Greg has been featured in the New York Times, USA Today, Food & Wine, the Washington Post, more than I could probably go into. Greg, thank you so much Thanks, for Richard. joining us. Yeah. Uh, we're really glad uh, that you're here with us today. We're going to start and off today. Thank you so much for bringing great beer to DC. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It's, I, it's, uh, so you've been doing this pleasure. for a long time. Been doing this for, I guess, 15 years. 15, 15 years. years now, yeah. I left a uh, life, a uh, very boring life in academia behind <laughs> uh, to uh, pursue uh, a life in craft beer and restaurants and bars and everything else. And uh, I've never regretted it for one Second, so can I ask uh, what you did in academia? Yeah, so I was I I was um, supposed to be a professor of English literature, uh, which fascinating. uh, (laughs) Good move there. Those those those, uh, professorships don't really exist anymore, like they used to. (laughs) Certainly, ten years gone. But uh, yeah, I was focusing on uh, modernist fiction. Um, So a lot of narrative technique stuff, a lot of fiction. Joyce Wolf Lawrence. 
Forrester. That was my passion. Still is a passion of mine. I don't read nearly as much as I wish I did, but um, but yeah, it was uh, it was it was cool to kind of shift my intellectual curiosity and acumen from from books to beer uh, back in 2004. Well, we're definitely glad you did it. Um, it's it's interesting. You've been doing this as long as I've been living in the D.C. area, basically. Cool parallel. Uh, yeah. yeah, and I. Uh, I I think I first discovered you at least from a skill perspective, not necessarily personally, um, at Rustico in Alexandria. Yeah. I used to work in Alexandria back at the time Rustico opened up, and like that was the place to 2006, go. Two thousand six, yeah, yeah, for for lunch and the place to go for happy hours and stuff like that. So, uh, and I was, of course, amazed at the beer selection. I uh, thought it was really great. Yeah, I used to go to the Church Key all the time. Well, yeah. we're going to get to Church Key. Yeah. Let's, but let's, yeah. let's, we're going to start off by fo- focusing really on you and your background and sure. how you got to where you are. Then we'll talk a little bit about sort of neighborhood restaurant group and the things that you've done yeah. for them. And then we want to narrow it down to the lovely location we're at here and talk a little bit about the brewing that you guys are doing at yeah. Blue Jacket. So my understanding is you're self-taught yes. in terms of all the... Be- Do you think that today someone could rise up to the same level being self-taught or would they need to go through all the formal certification programs oh yeah yeah. it's a good it's a good question you know as as you know in 2004 when i got started in beer there there was no cicerone well there's no beer advocate if it existed had just begun uh same with rape beer uh yelp wasn't you know it it was a very different time (laughs) so Put it in perspective. And so I started at the Brick Skeller, which is uh, an amazing institution. Uh, it opened in 1957 with 42 beers on its list, which is unheard of in the 1950s, of course, to have right. that much. Uh, they were a leader in craft beer and beer from around the world before it was cool, you know, and uh, and certainly they made a, a huge impact. Now, if I'm working at the Brick Skeller in 2004, as I was, I couldn't go on my phone and find out what hops were in 60 minute IPA. Right. I couldn't. Then find out what those hops were by just searching for that hop name. You know what I mean? Like, these things didn't exist. You had to read books. You had to call people on the phone. Email was uh, nascent, so it wasn't like you're just shooting out email. I mean, like, I remember calling brewers and being like, hey, can you tell me about this beer? How is it made? How would you describe it? That just sounds like I'm from the 19th century. You're talking like that, like telegraphing people. But that's what we did, you know, and we would go to the breweries, like going to Victory Brewing Company to learn more about the beer so that we had a better way to sell those beers at the Briggs Keller and provide a narrative and build an experience around the beer. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't always just like, yeah, we have it here, drink it. It was like, what should I drink? You have 2,000 beers. You probably only have 800 of those beers. So once we get to that, that narrow that down, well, why should I drink Hop Devil instead of Stone IPA? Well, how is it different? I mean, we could taste the differences, but then we wanted to be able to talk more about it and then tell the story of Greg Cook and Steve Wagner on the Stone side, you know, or Bill mm-hmm. Kobaleski uh, and Ron on the, on, the, on the victory side, stuff like that. So, like, that's how we used to do it. And it was by necessity. And it was survive or die. You know, you, we wanted to be able to, to really show off beer, and that's how we did it, reading every single thing you get our hands on from Michael Jackson, reading Ale Street News, in paper, Midland <laughs> Brewing News, in paper, in the news, and celebrator beer news. I mean, when those would arrive at the Brick Scheller on the weekly or the monthly or whatever, we would devour it. Hmm. And so you learn a lot that way. And, and at that point, too, for me, I started studying wine, self-taught there, you know, reading up on wine and spirits because I knew there were lessons that could be applied back to beer because they hadn't been, those lessons hadn't been written yet. You know, Garrett Oliver's book on Brewmaster Table uh, had just come out on beer and food, 2002 or three, I think. Um, so we devoured that and, you know, we gave it to all of our staff. Um, 
to read. And that was that. I really think now having Cicerone is an incredible asset. And, you know, it costs money. You know, yeah. so it's not free. But, like, you know, if you have the money for it, I think it's a great thing. But nothing should ever stand in the way of independent investigation and, frankly, of going out, meeting the brewers, staging at your local brewery. Now, like back then, there weren't a lot of breweries in D.C. As you know, there were no production breweries. There were some mm-hmm. brew pubs. If you wanted to learn how to brew, you'd have to, you know, there's some in Virginia, stuff like that. But go and learn how to brew that way, too. You know what I mean? Do, yeah. Don't just, just do the Cicerone on its own. I think you should mm-hmm. do it. That's a great path to take. Read, discuss, drink, most importantly, and, uh, you know, kind of get out there. But it's a cool question. Awesome. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Um, now, speaking of Michael Jackson... Um, <laughs> A while ago, I had the was fortunate in that I got to do a beer tasting with him, um, and I know you've met him as well. Oh, many times. Has he influenced your approach to beer, or who else has influenced? He has influenced Garrett him? Oliver, yeah. uh, who's a very close friend of mine, as uh, a mentor of mine. He, he's a huge influence on me, um, who I just mentioned, and um, Michael Jackson's a huge influence as well. Uh, he's a writer who happened to write about beer and whiskey, you know, but he's a writer. So reading his, so I come from a writing background, you know, like I was a a reader and a writer and that's what I was supposed to be doing with the rest of my life. So I read Michael Jackson at first for the the pleasure of his, of his work. I mean, he's an amazing writer. Um, and that influenced me a lot, but everybody who's involved with craft beer, who likes craft beer owes a debt of gratitude to Michael Jackson. I mean, he went out and with a very Western mind, um, categorized the world's beer styles and brought them to our attention um, and wrote poetically about them, shared amazing stories. Uh, he was a, certainly a raconteur, as, as you know, if you've attended one of his tastings. He was a gentle uh, man and a great, great man. Um, you know, he would come to the Bricks Keller for multiple tastings a year. I would work with him um, and get to hang out with him and, and, and learn a lot from him. So that was uh, an amazing thing. So, I mean, he's just, there's not, there's like, there's no craft beer as we know it without Michael Jackson. And uh, that is crazy. Now, what I will say, though, too, on the other side is that, you know, he unfortunately passed away about 12 years ago. And, you know, we miss him every day. One of the things that's interesting about Michael is that he was operating at a different time. Some people have criticized him for not being critical enough of beer mm-hmm. and um, discussing some of the, um, the problems with people's beers. I mean, he was... He, kind of a, a, cha- a champion first and foremost he wasn't interested in uh you know vault you know kind of creating a hierarchy of this brewery is better than this brewery and this beer is better than this beer which is you know because he was just interested in getting people to drink the beers in the first place and i, I really i believe that some have said that maybe you know because he definitely had a, earned income from certain from appearances on behalf of certain beers mm-hmm. and you know his face definitely showed up on a few beer bottles that <laughs> he was not critical of beer because he didn't want to mess with his I don't think that's what it was as much I think that at the time he was more interested in just getting the word out writing about beer in a narrative way in a storytelling way informing educating things like that and it was for then us later to kind of come in and, and look at beer and say okay that's great but we should also be applauding certain brewers for certain decisions they're making and, you know, giving some tough love to others for decisions they're making. I think he would have had to do that if he had been around for, you know, more than a thousand U.S. brewers, you know, right. and as it's yeah. gone yeah. this big. So the times yeah. have changed. But that's one thing. He was, it was a different time in beer for sure, um, you know, having gone uh, away in, in 2007. 
Well, let me ask you a question then, so, because it is a different time now, and we have reached the point where there's over 7,000 breweries in the U.S., yeah. and so there's a lot of there's a lot of different styles. There's a lot of experimentation. There's just just an enormous amount of, of diversity in the kinds of beers that people are making. But but at a high level, what are you looking for in beers that you're bringing into D.C.? And I know that there are, totally. sp- there are spaces. There's a sovereign which sort of focuses on the Belgian styles yep. and things like that. But but at a high level, like what are you looking for to, when you want to bring something into yeah. town for any of the places? Totally. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Again, I mean, back in 2004, Four, and then 2006 is when I joined Rustico. You know, we had been open for a couple months, took over the beer and bar program there, and totally changed the beer list that they had at the time based on, you know, the things we're going to talk about right now. You know, <laughs> but um, back then, it was interesting. It was just frankly in 2006, so 13 years ago, you could not get much craft beer. And it wasn't just that there were not nearly 7,000 breweries. It was that distributors weren't interested in carrying them. Uh, you know, it just, craft beer was not where it is today. And so we had to fight tooth and nail to get distributors to carry breweries that we loved and then to, to, to get guests to drink the beers from those breweries and, and things like that. So but all that is to say that there wasn't a lot of competition. Um, and, you know, it was a smaller group of people making beer. I think a lot of those brewers were um, professionally trained back then. Um, right. There was not the, the home brewer to brewery owner uh, kind of fast track that exists today. Right. And I, I, believe me, I have no problem with that at all. I, 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 there are plenty of amazing breweries that exist in that way. Back then, it just you couldn't get the money for that. Like, nobody would lend you money to do that. <laughs> right. So, like, in 2006, if you're brewing, like, you probably spent some time in a brewery learning how to brew based on some, you know, longstanding traditions and things like that. So, there's a different kind of quality um, back then and just fewer brewers from which to choose. So, back then, you know, it was kind of, it was a little bit easier. There was, like, there was good beer. And if it was good, we would serve it. You know right, what I mean? Yeah. Good beer. And if it was not good, i.e. it was littered with diacetyl or there was no carbonation or, you know what I mean? Like the, the DMS was there. All these little things there that we just would not serve it. Now, that wasn't for everybody, but that was definitely how we approached it. And, you know, and then we had our favorites within the stuff that was good. Right. Today, I have to turn a lot of good beer away. Yeah. And that's what I think is interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's, I mean, there's been an increase in quality but then also a decrease in quality, I would mm-hmm. say. And there's a lot of bad beer out there. Um, and there's a lot of good beer out there. And then there's a lot of great beer out there. And so it's been, we've continued to say no to the beers that are just clearly not not going to make it and they shouldn't be really tasted. They yeah, need to yeah. be worked on further before they mm-hmm. hit the, uh, the market. But if you just come in with a beer that's bereft of, of off flavors, it's relative, you know, well-made beer, that might not be enough anymore. You know, mm-hmm. there's got to be something to it that's just kind of, wow. You know, a, a balance, a nuance of flavor I'm looking for um, that is just remarkable. And you can kind of sense it. I mean, a lot of it is a feel and not necessarily like this over that. You know, I'm looking for, it, it's kind of, you want the beers to do things that seem impossible. To be both intense and subtle. At the right. same time, yeah. you know what I mean? You want them to uh, be well integrated and for flavors not to be overwhelming. I mean, the Sovereign's a great way for me to um, explain this, I think. So yeah. um, there are a number of beers we don't serve at the Sovereign. Uh, we don't even serve Chimay there. Mm-hmm. We don't serve Duval. We don't serve uh, Delirium Tremens. Uh, you know, uh, many, many, many beers. Obviously, Stella, Hogarden, and, and the like, and that's a political move for me right, but right, uh, right. with AB's involvement. But And also flavor-wise. All those beers, to me, are... are can be well made and can be good but they're kind of one note 
they and they're very similar to one another. I mean, a lot of Belgian strong beers have a very you know obvious fruit forward ester character. Um, they have they're they're strong. They tend to be a little bit sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, that to me lacks complexity. The beers that we do choose to serve religiously at the Sovereign, the beers of De La Seine and Duranca and Blogy, mm-hmm. and then from France, Thierrier, uh, and, and, and Rule from the Gome region uh, out east. These are beers that are not one note. They, they aren't just big, huge fruit bombs that have to be like sweet on the palate. They tend to be dry. Yeah. They tend to incorporate this beautiful melange of malt, hop, and yeast character. Um, they tend to transform in the glass as you return to them. They tend to have impeccable carbonation levels too. Uh, you know, at the same time, they're also made incredibly well. Um, and, and they do that. So I think that's kind of, you know, what we are, uh, looking for, uh, when we're, when we're looking, uh, at beers. And then also, you know, this is one thing I think it's hard to explain is that, I've said that, and then there's a lot of big breweries that are regional or national or even mm-hmm. international who go, well, you used to pour all of my beers a lot more based on that, and you don't as much anymore. And it's like, that's the last caveat, is that we are kind of trying to break out new brewers, smaller brewers, and, give right. the, and, and show people something they haven't had. So we're trying to keep that in balance, too. We sell a lot of Sierra Nevada beer at, at Church Key mm-hmm. um, and at Rustico and at Evening Star Cafe and elsewhere. Probably not as much as we did in 2007, right. but we still do. So I, I do remain committed to the best breweries in the world, even if we don't sell as much of their beer anymore, just because there's so many more options out there and we're trying to show people new things. Right, 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 right. Well, it's, I mean, just as an anecdote, and I, I do anecdotes way too often in, in, in <laughs> these podcasts, but but that, the complexity that you were talking about, I, I find the most intriguing thing about uh, uh, coming to your restaurants and, and trying the beers that you have. So... Uh, my wife and I are from the Austin, Texas area, and uh, a couple weeks ago you had a nice menu of Jester King yeah. uh, uh, beers there, and I dragged my wife out at 9 o'clock. <laughs> like, we finished dinner, and we were both still working on stuff, and I was like, I need a beer, let's go, and we drove all the way to Georgetown, <laughs> which, <laughs> which, I mean, everybody, this is a D.C. show, so you all know, like, Georgetown is going to be a pain in the ass to get yeah, to, and especially, the yeah. especially yep. 9 o'clock on a Thursday night, but... Uh, but I took her there, and I was just like, "Look, let's let's try these beers." And my wife likes beer, but yeah. she's not. She's a very narrow yeah. focus on what she likes in a beer, and um, she was overwhelmed not just with the selection of everything that there was at the Sovereign, but but Jester King specifically because that's all we drank, and the complexity of the beers that she was having. And it was yeah. the first time I think she ever got in her head as long as I've been drinking beer with her how complex beer is compared to wine. Whenever I have this conversation with people who don't know beer that way, but who might be love wine, you know, yeah. or, or big bourbon cocktail people, mm-hmm. you know, I take them to the sovereign and say, okay, we're going to sit down and you're going to learn some things. Totally. About and you know, how- and it's not just like atrial rubicite, which is like their big, massive, you know, cultish followed raspberry beer mm-hmm. that demonstrates that kind of complexity. It's also Petit Prince, which is their, you know, 2.7% right. uh, table beer. Yeah. That is incredibly uh, complex, you know, and as far as Austin goes, too, you know. I and, th- and this is the thing that's kind of uh, really interesting to me. Jester King will make, you know, these beautiful mixed fermentation beers uh, aged on fruit or not. They'll incorporate all sorts of amazing ingredients. You know, uh, Jeff Stuffing is a good, good buddy of mine, and I've loved that brewery forever. And, and, but, and I love those beers. But I can I, I feel the same way about those beers as I do about like the classic styles made by Live Oak mm-hmm. Brewery yeah, in Austin. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. even like I was out there I think it was last spring, 
we went to Austin Beer Garden Brewery, mm-hmm. ABGB, and like they had five or six pilsners on draft that were incredible. And there's that there's this kind of just like uh, wow, subtle nuance, complexity, interplay, uh, integration of flavor that I see in uh, a mixed firm raspberry beer from Jester King, as I see in one of those uh, Czech style pilsners at ABGB. So yeah. it's, it's very cool. Yeah. yeah. You know. Well, let's talk a little bit about. Uh about some of these restaurants. We've, we've delved into this, so mm-hmm. let's just transition into that. Um, if you're a listener, you've probably been to Church Key. You know about Rustico. We've talked about the Sovereign. There's Owen's Ordinary in Rockville. And, of course, there's, what, 19, 20? 19 Nine, total, yeah. 19 bars, restaurants, and a wine shop in Alexandria, I think, that Neighborhood Restaurant Group uh, operates uh, in, in D.C. We're right now at Blue Jacket. But um, the the idea of these restaurants and you being uh, the, the beer person for all these restaurants, you said before that, that wine and beer both belong and they belong together mm-hmm. on a dining table. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that and expand on that a little bit? Sure, yeah. So I do want to give a shout out to... Uh, Tim Liu, who's our assistant beer director for the company. And, you know, without Tim, we would not be able to operate these um, these beer programs, like, across so many places like we do. You know, he's uh, been with our group for a few years now, and it's just been amazing. As we continue to grow, We uh, he's he's been really awesome with that. So I uh, definitely want to mention that. Food and beer has been a passion of mine since uh, day one with all this. You know, I remember... At the Brick Skeller, the Brick Skeller was an amazing place for so many reasons. Meeting luminaries, learning a ton, but also kind of like seeing opportunities for, I won't say like a competitor, but for seeing opportunities for other things we could do with beer. And I, mm-hmm. you know, read Brewmaster's Table and was just like, a- absolutely. I mean, beer, I, I don't really want to say like beer is better with food than wine. I think that's silly and they're just completely different interactions that happen with them. But um, certainly beer would be a way, uh, beer and food are great together. And, and, would, and I'd love to focus on that as a way too to elevate the appreciation of beer. And that's the other thing to remember is back in 2004, 2005, like mm-hmm. it was a fight. People were like craft beer seems silly. Like this yeah. is ridiculous. So we were looking at any way to convince people that no, 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 this is not a commodity we're talking about here. This isn't, these are, they're artisans creating these beers. Right. They should yeah, be respected yeah. like that in the way that we respect winemakers and things like that, um, and chefs and, and mixologists and such. And one of the ways to do that was certainly through food. You know, if you want people to think of beer as an amazing product, you, you want them to think of beer the way they think about wine and, and, and to put beer into glasses, not just any glass, specific glass where that works for it, and to serve it at specific temperatures and things like that. So I was really interested, and it seemed like the best way to get people to understand how great beer was, was by elevating the service and, and appreciation of beer, and oftentimes putting it alongside food. And I think it was definitely you know a successful thing. Yeah. Michael Jackson had been saying it for a long time. Uh, there had been beer tasting. The first beer tasting, sit-down beer tasting ever in the United States happened at the Brick Skeller. Uh, in the early 80s, you know, so like it was there. It just had to go out to the masses. And I think uh, we, we were able to do that. So at Rustico, we started in 2006 and seven with these um, very special small like pairing dinners. And that served as a sort of, you know, a place for us to start to work out ideas of beer and food pairing um, and inspired us to not just open Church Key in mm-hmm. the city, but to open Birch and Barley below, uh, where we have for 10 years now, because that Birch and Barley and Church Key will be 10 in October, 
consistently yeah. um, poured beer alongside food at the table along with wine and cocktails. And we've had a tasting menu, not with wine, but with beer for 10 years straight. There's no other restaurant in the United States that's been as committed to beer and food pairing as Birch and Barley has been and evolved with it, uh, which has been cool. And then to take it outside that, you know, so back even in 2009 when we opened, you had to basically make a beer and food restaurant to get people to think about beer and food pairings. But now <laughs> you go to some of the best restaurants in the city and it is, you always will find, you know, wine, 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 but beer with their cheese course or beer with the dessert course. Mm -hmm. And maybe even sometimes they'll get a little bit more exotic and put beer with a savory course up front. So it worked and it's more mainstream. Now, people still would rather line up and trade beer, I think, than, than, eat, than drink beer with food, uh, unfortunately. Right. But um, I, I do think it's been cool. And, and we've been able to do it with so many of our chefs, right? I mean, like at Iron Gate, our chef, Tony Chinnam. I mean, he makes amazing Mediterranean Greek food. So we're, we're figuring out ways to pair beer with that cuisine, obviously with Belgian cuisine at Sovereign. Mm -hmm. uh, Nathan Anda, our, our butcher uh, and chef for all the Red Apron concepts and, and B-Side and Partisan is a meat master. If you go into Partisan, we have 21 drafts, half of which are sour. They go amazing with all manner of charcuterie we do there. So I really think there's a kind of subtle dedication to beer and food. Uh, we should probably uh, yell about a little bit more throughout <laughs> our company. And um, uh, But I still think there's a lot of, of new things that could be done. So when a lot of people go to a restaurant, they're thinking, oh, I'm going to get this IPA or I'm going to get this beer. How hard is it to get them to understand that certain beers pair well with certain types of food yeah, yeah. and to i guess go along with that and is this let me ask appreciate you, yeah. let beer. me yeah let me interject so are you asking adam about the about about the consumer and yes, helping the, the consumer, consumer understand? right yeah. now just okay. the consumer yeah so here's the thing yeah you're right because a lot of consumers like three kinds of beer today yeah fruited sours that are made quickly and uh, let me just disclaimer here. I love all these beers, so I'm not. I hate when people seem like they're like, you know, uh, belittling these styles of beers. I love them. We make them a ton at Blue Jacket. So there's just more to beer than these three flavors. Sure. But people love fruited sours. They love hazy IPAs and they love pastry stouts. Like that is the thing. That's what they come looking for. Well, our food menus are type by by very nature of creating a food menu. You need diversity of flavor, right? I mean, right. unless you're like. Uh, you know, a fried chicken place that only does fried chicken or right, something right, like that. Right. But our restaurants have something for every palate on the menu. So if somebody comes in and goes, I love hazy IPAs, what should I, you know, we can find food that's going to go with that, right? So that's a cool thing. We don't have to be like, huh, sorry, you're out of luck. We don't even bother with hazy IPA because it's not going to go with anything on the menu. <laughs> that's good, right? But the other thing that we have going for us is that beer is incredibly versatile. Mm -hmm. Like you can, you need me a dish. I can, t I can find a, a, a pairing. I can find at least two disparate beer pairings that I think are going to work with that dish. So you don't, we can tailor it to your experience, you know? So if you absolutely under no circumstances want to try a Rauch beer or smoked beer, which you would not be the first one of that, right, that is probably yeah. the most polarizing flavor in beer. <laughs> we don't have to be like, well then uh, you're going to, you can't have this dish. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's, right. for instance, I love drinking smoked beer with um, raw fish. I think mm -hmm. it's, incredible you kind of smoke the fish table side it's like a really cool thing rather than just having like you know smoked beer and meat that are just yeah, kind yeah. of did the same thing they kind of cancel each other out right, right. so it's you can really like a brinier um like uh oily fish like even something like bluefish or mackerel or something uh, can work really well with a light refreshing smoked lager okay but i can also get uh a really amazing 
um, Berliner Weisse mm -hmm. uh, with you know maybe you know maybe just a clean Berliner Weisse that's going to go excellently with that uh, mackerel as well. So if somebody's like I absolutely despise smoked beer, it's not like well that's it, that's over. You know, so there's a versatility there that I think sometimes is not quite the same with wine, um, and and that's been fun. So there's an opportunity here now to like say to use food to get people to try beers they wouldn't otherwise have. Because mm -hmm. to be like, hey, even if you hate this, it's only four ounces, right. and <laughs> you're going to like the way it tastes with this food, I guarantee it. Um, or an easy way to just say like, hey, you're coming in here, you know what you like, boom, here it is. And there's another reason why we like to have larger lists, is so we have plenty of options in each category. Now, expanding that out, I guess, to the industry, how do you think the restaurant industry is doing at understanding and treating beer, like treating it the same as wine or... Not it's not, same, yeah, I'll be honest, that's one where I really had higher hopes mm -hmm. than mm. where it's gone. You know, I think beer has remained beer as it's become more popular. It's right. still kind of a thing that you drink um, in, in, in many different uh, situations, you know. It, beer was already something that we drank in many situations, right? So in a lot of ways, it's not unfortunate that we just elevated the kinds of beer we drank. So if you're at the baseball game, instead of drinking uh, terrible yeah. yellow fizzy <laughs> industrial beer, which at the same time can keep you, you know, from getting wasted too quickly. So there are some good things about that. Guinness is great for that, right? Yeah. Um, because you can drink a lot of it and still go about your day. Um, but <laughs> but any, in any event, you can also drink a lot of low alcohol craft lagers so for that. But yep. So now instead of having to drink macro industrial beer, you can drink a craft version, right? Or if you're at your house for a barbecue, you can trade up from industrial to craft. So it makes sense then that that's how it happened. What we were hoping to have happen too was in addition to that, we'd get more of a crossover and that beer could be also considered um, more for pairing. And it has been for sure. And like I said before, you're seeing it, but you don't see it as much as I, I think I had hoped for that, or I have hopes in the future that it could, that it'll get that way. So that's something I want to continue to work on. I do think the Brewers Association has done a, a good job of remaining committed to beer and food pairing. I would love to see it uh, more happen more in, in restaurants. But I think a lot of what happened was that, in the early days, we were using beer and food pairing as a way to get people just to try craft beer. Right. Well, once people got into craft beer, I think a lot of restaurateurs and publicans were like, listen, they're drinking the craft beer anyways. We don't have to go that next level, um, right. which is unfortunate because I think there are just so many different ways to experience craft beer. And with food is one of the, uh, one of the ways I think is most rewarding. Absolutely. All right. We've had a lot of fun talking about... You and your history and how you came to all of this and talking about what uh, Neighborhood Restaurant Group is doing and how you guys are sort of changing, I think, changing the, the face of food and beer. Um, but the core function that creates beer is brewing. And one of the places that you guys have at Neighborhood Restaurant Group is Blue Jacket. That's where we're sitting today. You've talked a little bit about it. So since Adam and I got started... Uh, doing this, it's been a year and a half since we started doing this. And originally, what we were doing was we were making a podcast about breweries. And we were talking mm -hmm. to brewers and we were talking about the business of brewing and things like that. But we do want to spend a little bit of time talking about Blue Jacket and what you're doing here. So m the first question is, what prompted you guys to decide to open a brew pub? Um, and did, did you feel that there was something missing or did it mm -hmm. just seem like a natural fit? Yeah. Uh, or was it just like, fuck yeah, let's open the roof yeah, yeah. you know? It's a great question. You know, so back in 2006 when I joined Roostica, one of the reasons for that was, you know, I met Michael Babin is the founder of Neighborhood Restaurant Group and our principal owner. 
Uh, he opened Evening Star Cafe back in 97, 1997, mm-hmm. still going strong. Our flagship location in Delray, in Alexandria. It's a great place, by Amazing the way. If you guys have never been with to an Evening unbelievable Star, beer like, list, I mean, like, you yeah, really like, got to go. It's really cool. And uh, our chef, Jonathan Till, there is incredible. Anyways, you know, like he was always interested in, you know, chef driven places, beverage driven places, um, artisan places, frankly, craft mm-hmm. driven places. And um, had opened Rustico with that in mind. And when I met him and he was looking for somebody new to come in and take over the beer program, I was like, listen, this sounds amazing, but I really want to be in D.C. I, I, I really want to open my own spots. I have a lot of ideas that I've been developing over the past couple of years. And he was like, totally, I, I, we want to do the same. We want to do it with you. And so the idea was to kind of come to Roostico, get it going, which we did, and uh, and then go on. And, and we started talking about what would become Church Key and then Birch and Barley almost from day one. So awesome. that was cool. But shortly thereafter, we started talking about brewing too. And I think for me, I came into this from a tasting sommelier side. Like I definitely, just from the work, I mean, I didn't start in the brewery. I started on the restaurant side. So I was like, you know, hanging out with psalms and mixologists and thinking about beer from that lens more than from the brewing lens. Um, at first, but you know, over time, I got to hang out with more and more brewers. I got to see the brewing process, and as it, as as craft brewing just continued to grow, we kind of found ourselves saying, like, we should add our voice to this as well. Like, yeah. it's amazing to curate and procure and showcase beers from all over the world, but like, it would be a lot of fun to get in there and, and actually do it ourselves to see what we can do. You know. And, and I think as far as what we decided to do is we definitely took our cue from Church Key. You know, mm-hmm. I've always been fascinated by every manner of beer out there and everywhere to present, every way to present it, right? I love texture. That's one of the reasons I'm so committed today still to real ale. Mm-hmm. And I don't know when this is going to air, but right now, I'm not making this up. We have one of the best casks that we've ever had on on tap at Church Key. It's called Hurricane Jack. It's from Fine Ales, which is an amazing brewery in, in, in Scotland. We carry a lot of their casks. But with cask ale, things just kind of like come together. Yeah, yeah. This cask came over in the peak of freshness. It has the perfect amount of carbonation. And when we dispense it, it just is... Uh, I had one yesterday. I'm shocked. One of the best we've ever had. It's a, um, a pale, you know, pale Scottish ale with a little bit of wheat, which I think is helping with some of that head retention, mm-hmm. and uh, Amarillo and Cascade hops. I mean, just unbelievable. But anyways. We're going to stop. Yeah, by we the, have it, to stop by, down the way. By, home, the, time, by yeah. the time this airs, it will not be there anymore. I'll tell okay, you that well, now. Well, so come back because we get a lot from that. Don't worry. But, but anyways, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's great worth, stuff. But Adam and I are going like, to go by back, there so on the way I love, I love textures. You know what I mean? I love uh, slow pour pills. I love bottle conditioned beer. You know, I love draft beer. I love cast beer. We love it all. We love how diverse beer is. And so with Church Key, with Rustico, uh, with all of our places, we want to showcase the myriad flavor possibilities of beer. So naturally, when we were discussing on uh, building a brewery, it was like, are we going to concentrate on lagers? No. Are we going to concentrate <laughs> on No, no, no. We wanted to build a brewery that could kind of be a mini Church Key that we created, you know, a focus. Oh, nice. So that's why 20 drafts. Now, today, every brewery has 20 drafts. But back in 2013, not every brewery had 20 drafts oh, no. at all times, you know. And we have, it was like six to eight. Six back to then. eight. Yeah, and yeah, we yeah. had three to yeah. four real ale, um, uh, real ales on cask at all times. We were doing large format bottles. But we also built this brewery so to be able to do lots of things, to do lagers, to do mixed firm, to do hazy IPAs. Eventually, once they came around, they didn't exist <laughs> in 2013. Although uh, we were making a beer that really was Forbidden Planet, our dry hop Kolsch, uh, dry hop Blonde, has been like a hazy IPA since day one. Um, you know, 
we wanted to be able to do it all, but also we wanted to be able to evolve. And that's why we built the brewery the way we did. We knew that we were our interests were going to change, people's interests were going to change, and we wanted to be able to kind of do that as we go. And I've been very proud of that. And that, so that's kind of where it came from. Now, I will be the first to admit, we knew a hell of a lot about running restaurants and bars and procuring <laughs> beer and showcasing it and pairing it and everything else and serving it. But we had to learn a lot of lessons about production, you know, yeah. and, and it's been... Uh, one large learning curve for five years, but I can tell you, and that's always the way it is. Every brewery is not great on day one. Right. Certainly not as great as it could be or will be. You know what I mean? Yeah. It takes some time to really get there. And, you know, I think we're there now. You know, Ro Gunzel is our director of brewing operations. He's been here for about two years. He's great. He's amazing. Yeah, Ro's um, fantastic. He's brought more brewing experience to, to, to our brewery than uh, I could have ever imagined we could have. And then also he's proven himself to be very, uh, you know, able to, to evolve a little bit. I mean, <laughs> when he first got here, I was like, I don't know if this guy's going to brew hazy IPAs and stuff like that. But man, he is. And, and he's doing it with a plum, you know. But also we are brewing lagers that I think are world class and real ale. And, you know, now we're our spontaneous beer that we've been making um, for a number of years. It's never been quite where we wanted it to be. We have some very promising stuff in barrels right now. So it's just fun. And I think it's a good reminder to don't write off um, any brewery, you know what I mean? Or, or or ever feel like you know a brewery. Like breweries evolve and change, and that's mm -hmm. what's exciting about it, you know? And um, so it's been, a, it's been a wild, fun ride, and we're looking to do more. Awesome. Well, I have to say, I love the beers here. Thank you. Yeah. So. Appreciate it. Yeah, I think everybody who knows the brewing environment uh, and the scene, everybody I've ever spoken to, and I certainly agree, and Adam agrees, you know, Blue Jacket is at the top of the list. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, definitely. Definitely. it's good to hear. I mean, we, we really are working hard at it every day, and we dump a lot of beer, I'll tell you that. Yeah. Like, the best breweries in the world dump beer. Uh, that's you know, something like, it's so funny that you said that, because yeah. was, I, was, I mentioned earlier, like, last week, my wife and I went... Uh, we went away for a couple of days to celebrate our 20th anniversary, and we're both starting new businesses in our 50s, which is stupid. Don't ever do that. <laughs> Congratulations, <laughs> though, like, first of all. That's don't amazing. do that. But we're both doing it, so we're just working and working. Yeah. And we don't have time, and so we're like, ah, oh, we're just going to go. So we went out to West Virginia, and we... One of the places we went, we went out for our big anniversary dinner, and we went to a place that had a brewery on site. And I was like, okay, well, we're going to get there early, and I'm yeah. going to try their beers. And they were horrific. Yeah. I mean. Happens. <laughs> all of them across yeah. the board were undrinkable. Um, it, but it didn't, but, but I know that we'll go back there. And yeah, yeah, I know yeah. that I'll give them another try. Totally. Because they probably know no it's a, it was it was at a sort of a hotel place and like a resort yeah, yeah, area yeah. so so my first reaction was okay if the brewers know anything about brewing they didn't want to serve any of this but the Man, masters you know the, too, the yeah. bosses said no sorry we pay it's possible know, the know. other possibility is that they don't know i mean that, that, that happens sometimes too. you know yeah. and the weirdest thing about beer right now and again it's it's that a lot of mediocre to unfortunate breweries are around in part because they can be fun. Breweries can be fun even if yeah, the beer yeah. is not good. And, I, and that pains me to say sometimes because at the end of the day, we are trying to give people, a, show people a great time. And you do yeah. that many ways, through beverage, through food, through atmosphere, uh, through service more than anything else. And, you know, people are willing to look the other way if, if you check most of those boxes. And, you know, there are some beautiful uh, outdoor breweries, you know, mm -hmm. that like just like on a, on a beautiful day and, and honestly wineries too in Virginia yeah, yeah, yeah. that like the stuff they're serving is not 
good. <laughs> but I mean, right. and I wouldn't you know, go there, but I can totally see why people do. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah. That's, and that's kind yep. of where we are. You know, it, it's um, craft beer is, has gone mainstream mm-hmm. for better. For better, but, uh, for sure. But, but also, like, there are some problems with that, but that come along with it. But, like, this is what we wanted. Yeah. Like, when I set out to do this, it was like, I want to be able to get Stone Ruination IPA, rest in peace. Uh, but uh-huh. a beer like that uh, in fresh in, in my corner bar, like, around, you know, yeah, in, yeah. in my neighborhood. And we have that now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's like you know there, there there is that, but then there are some there are some tough things that go along with it. So yeah, no, it's it's that's that's yeah. true, and it's a it's, it's a true. there's the bitter with the sweet, right? Yeah, it yeah. is it is great. I mean, I my my experience, I've, listeners have heard this a million times, but I don't know if I've told you this, but my my true like mind opening craft beer thing was living in San Francisco. Uh, in the mid '90s, a half a block from Toronado. Yeah, you know, totally. and and that being my neighborhood restaurant, like you go to a neighborhood restaurant where people throw things at people who walk in the door and ask for Budweiser, because yeah. <laughs> it's only crap. I was gonna beer. say, yeah, <laughs> not, not a lot of bedside manner at Toronado. <laughs> no, but, no, no. But but Russian River on draft, which right? Is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Totally. Uh, nice and fresh. <laughs> yeah, super fresh. Like, yeah, day, that day kind well. of stuff, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. So so. Um, there is a little bit of good with the bad and yeah. going into a place and being like, ah, look, they're brewers and, and, and having that excitement about totally. somebody else's brewing and then tasting it and being like, they should not be brewing. Yeah. <laughs> they should not be serving at least. And they that's what we're kind of back to. We were talking about Michael Jackson yeah. before. Like, you know, he was notoriously not as critical, but he didn't have to be for a number of reasons. One, there wasn't as much bad beer out there right. in, in the mid 2000s, I, I believe, as there is today. And uh, there weren't as many breweries. So it definitely now matters to quality matters yeah. it's okay yes. to be selective if you do not like a beer it's okay to tell the person who serves you what you have what you don't like about it and in many cases to send it back yeah. no it could be I know, i'm not i'm certainly not saying like oh you ordered a beer that you you thought and then you changed your mind you thought you know what, instead of a style i wanted a, right, uh, yeah, an IPA. No, that, no, yeah. no 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 i mean like if you taste diacetyl in your beer send, send it back, it back. <laughs> It's probably from a PDO infection in the line, right? Yeah. And if it's yeah. just, and don't tell me, oh, it's British beer, it's the way it's supposed to be. No, it's supposed, if anything, <laughs> it's a hint. It's a hint. Czech lager, we're getting some amazing Czech lagers today um, mm-hmm. from That's the true. likes of, you know, uh, Hostomice and Coat, uh, Nasumavia, and things like that. But I'll be honest with you, these are unfiltered, unpasteurized beers. And these guys are just learning how to export properly. And yeah. then, you know, We've had some issues with those with some kegs, and you know what? We pull them. You know, like, and these are great brewers. So it's not just bad brewers or brewers who don't know. It's totally okay to be selective. It's totally you should do it. People and, and brewers should respond positive to, positively to it. They should want to get better. Yeah, Any yeah. brewer who doesn't want to get better every day is not a brewery, a brewery that is worth your time. I totally agree. Yeah, totally agree. And like you said, sometimes it's not the brewer, it's not the beer, it's yeah, the somebody line. else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's transported, yep. shipping. All right. Well, listen, this has been, we could talk about this forever. <laughs> Obviously, right. every, all of us could talk about this forever. But uh, for the sake of our listeners, we're going to let it go. Greg, thank you so much thank for you coming on the DC yeah. show. And uh, always remember, you can find anything you need to know about all the craft brewers, breweries, retailers, restaurants, and bars at dcbeer.com. Thanks for listening to the DC Beer Show. Please give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever app you're using. We'll be back next week. We hope you'll join us. And remember, always drink good beer.